Hey there, it's David. Today I will continue to share with you my journey. The goal is to help you to better understand who I am and where I'm coming from. This is part two of my journey, so if you haven't yet listened to part one, please go back and listen to the first part of my journey. All of this will make much more sense if you listen in order. So, let's get to it. Let's go island hopping. My faith was becoming just that, my faith. It wasn't the faith of my family anymore, and it wasn't the faith of a church anymore. My faith was just that, my faith. It was my journey. My journey had become about my relationship with my God, and nobody will ever be able to take that away from me. For my whole life when it came to God, I had lived on automatic pilot. I went to church, I learned the Bible lessons, and I sang the Christian songs, wash, rinse, and repeat. For that was what I did as a member of my family. For me, church wasn't an option. Church was simply something that I did because that's what my family did. Now, don't misunderstand, I loved church, and here's why. We always went to church in the next town, meaning I went to church with people that I didn't go to school with, and I went to school with people who didn't go to my church. Thus, I grew up with two separate but not equal lives. I had my school life, I had my school friends, and I had my place in the social pecking order of school. Since I loved music, I sang in the choir, which didn't propel me to the heights of popularity. In fact, one time when I tried out for the basketball team, the coach gave everyone nicknames and mine was Choir Fag. Yeah, it was a very different time. Conversely, I had my church life, I had my church friends, and I had my place in the social pecking order of church. At church, I also sang in the choir, but at church this fact did propel me to the heights of popularity, with both the youth as well as the adults. My gifts were not only accepted, they were praised. This produced comfort and confidence in who I was and who God had created me to be, which allowed me to blossom in ways that I couldn't or wouldn't in school. My best friendships prior to high school were all from church. My first crush was in church. I learned how to be a leader in church. I learned how to be me in church. So much so that in seminary, all the students were required to write a spiritual autobiography as a condition for graduation. And I called my spiritual autobiography freedom. For in church, I felt the freedom to be me, which is something that I've never forgotten and something for which I am eternally grateful. Well, earlier I said my best friendships prior to high school because things started to change for me when I entered high school. There were several reasons for these changes, but the biggest reason was that in my freshman year of high school, my family moved. Thus, I started a new high school in a new town in November. 
I remember it was November because we celebrated my birthday in a hotel, for we hadn't yet moved into our new house. Moving during the middle of your freshman year in high school is tough. All of my focus and energy was dedicated to fitting in at my new school. I had to find a new set of friends. I had to become who I was, apart from what I had known in my old hometown church and school. Not that I saw this move as a chance to redefine myself, but rather I saw this move as a challenge to reestablish the freedom to be me, the freedom that I had experienced in the past. Yes, we again gravitated to a church, and yes, we again gravitated to a church in a neighboring town, and again, I got involved in the choir and the youth group. Yet my involvement evolved in this new church. See, this new church was very big, and this big new church had an audiovisual ministry, for they televised their worship services. Thus, I spent many a Sunday behind a camera in the sanctuary, or down in the control room carrying out various responsibilities for the production. Yes, I was still technically involved in church, for I was physically attending church each week. But in this time, church transitioned into a less prominent position in my life. It fell way behind my burgeoning new life at school, for church had merely become something that I did. And high school, friendships, popularity, girls, became who I was. Being in high school and all that this meant became my identity. During this time, church transitioned from the place where I could be me into a largely irrelevant institution that, beyond social connections, offered me very little else. Church became what I did because my family dictated it. And with this perspective, church became more and more a symbol of the past, an institution that was no longer relevant in my life. Now, I'm not putting all the blame on the church, for I was also changing. My high school years were very different from my elementary and junior high years. I got my driver's license. I discovered a fondness for hallucinogens. And then there were girls. I can honestly say that a cute girl in school or church had a much greater impact on my life than Jesus did during this time. As I shared in part one of my journey, it wasn't until the age of 20 that my faith finally became my faith. It took that long for me to undergo a transformation from someone who practiced a religion into someone who had a relationship with God. It would take that long for my God to truly become my God, not just the God of a religion. After high school, I spent two and a half years on a journey. I was wrestling with one reality. I needed something. I had a hole in my life, and I was trying to fill that hole on my own. In one moment in an oceanography lecture, I took a giant leap of faith because I realized that there was a God and that I mattered to God. God was the only one who could truly fill my hole. What I had been actively running from for those two and a half years turned out to be the very thing I needed the most. Well, lest you believe that everything from that point forward was happily ever after, it wasn't. It was many years later that I came to realize that I had never allowed God to be more than simply the architect of my life. 
See, I believe in intelligent design, and I believe that God is the intelligent designer. Back in the day, I thanked God for the universe, our galaxy, our solar system, and this blessed third rock from the sun that I get to call home. Yet, the next part of my journey would force me to come to terms with the fact that I needed to learn how to make room for God to be more than simply the architect of my life. I needed more from my relationship with God. Again, I had a hole in my life that I couldn't fill on my own. I needed more than a relationship with an architect. I needed a shepherd. I needed a relationship with God as my shepherd which is very different than a relationship with God as an architect. At that time in my life, I was also struggling with my calling to ministry. (laughs) Imagine that, a pastor who simply saw God as an architect, struggling with his call to ministry. See, I'd survived a church fight, if you can honestly say that anyone survives a church fight. What I mean is that I came out on the other side still being the pastor, when some whom I had considered to be friends desired that I would no longer be the pastor. In the wake of all of this, I was wondering if being in ministry was actually right for me. And even beyond that, I was struggling with my relationship with God. For my architect God seemed very detached from my everyday coming and going, questioning, searching, wondering life. In essence, deep down, I was still doing Christianity, as opposed to being a follower of Jesus. So, I did something that would have shocked a younger version of me. I sought out professional counseling. In this process, my counselor challenged me to spend an entire week, seven days, on nothing but the first half of Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd. What did that statement mean to me in my life? Was there ever a time when I considered God as my shepherd? And why was it hard for me to consider God as my shepherd now? For seven days, there was no Bible studies to lead, no sermons to prep, no meetings to attend, and no visits to make. There was just me and the first half of Psalm 23.1, The Lord is my shepherd. To top it all off, since my God was my architect, I had never read the Bible for any other purpose but to prepare for a class, a Bible study, or a sermon. After all, nobody looks at an architect's drawings, unless, of course, they are doing some kind of structural analysis and preparation for some kind of work. Now, this is what I learned in those seven days. A relationship with an architect can only take me so far in life. Yes, an architect can draw my life plans and oversee the construction of my life. An architect can make my life useful and functional and even aesthetically pleasing. But when the storms come, when the struggles show up, when life challenges me and I question my purpose and calling, an architect isn't much help. When you feel lost, alone, and afraid, you don't call for an architect. For an architect's skill set is of no help. In those times, you need a shepherd. For a shepherd protects, guides, and watches over you. Realizing all of this still left me with a problem. I had no idea how to relate to God as my shepherd. 
Up to that point in my life, I believed that all I needed was the design and the materials to build my life. In fact, truth be told, I believed that it wasn't even God's job to be my shepherd. For deep down, I believed that a strong, healthy person never needed a shepherd. In other words, I believed the lie. God helps those who help themselves. Yet, there I was, spending seven days reading, studying, praying over, and meditating on the Lord is my shepherd and what that meant to me. I was finally able to let my guard down. I was finally able to surrender and to accept my need for a shepherd. It was as if a weight was lifted from my shoulders. No longer was it totally up to me. I didn't have to have all of the answers. I didn't have to always be strong. I realized that a healthy person is able to acknowledge their weaknesses. Lo and behold, in this process, I moved from someone who didn't even realize that he needed a shepherd to someone who acknowledged that he needed a shepherd to finally someone who realized that he wanted the daily presence, care, protection, comfort, and guidance that only a shepherd can provide. And as we talked about before, a basic human characteristic is that we will always find a way to do what we want. It was in this time that I found myself having to revisit everything again. I realized that I, once again, had a hole in my life that I couldn't fill on my own. I wanted God to be my shepherd. I didn't want to get rid of the architect, but I wanted a deeper, more intimate relationship with my shepherd. Through this part of my journey, I realized that God was my shepherd, and I got a bonus. Since I realized that God was my shepherd, I also realized that I mattered to God. And I not only mattered to God when I was doing everything right, I I not only mattered to God when I was studying the Bible or teaching the Bible, I, I, I not only mattered to God when I was leading a worship service, I realized that I mattered to God all the time. (laughs) Well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. You never know what you never know. This revelation opened the door to a whole new world in my relationship with God. I began to understand that just because I had experienced learning and growth on my journey, I can't for a second get lulled into believing that I won't have to revisit things again and again throughout my life. For I can never forget that I don't even know what I don't even know. Now, before all of this, I would have sworn on a stack of Bibles that I had a personal, intimate relationship with God. After all, I had received and accepted a call to ministry, and I was a pastor of a church. How much more personal and intimate with God could I get? Well, as we learn and grow, God will reveal things to us that will cause us to revisit, rethink, and retool our lives. This is how God molds all of us throughout our lives to be who God has created us to be, not who the world tells us we should be or who we believe we should be. Another of the many reasons why I have taken an oath to stop shoulding on myself and others. All of this is a perfect example of how your journey becomes your destination. For at no time in this life will you arrive on your journey. As you learn and grow more and more, 
God will reveal to you more and more, which will cause you to learn and grow more and more, and then God will reveal more and more to you and on and on and on until you take your very last breath. Well, thinking about this fact that as you learn and grow, God will reveal more and more to you, let me rewind for just a moment. Many times the best way to understand something is in hindsight. All of what I'm about to share with you is the revelation of experience. None of this occurred to me in the moment. It was only through the processing of my journey, the remembering of where I've been, that I've been able to make these connections. What I'm about to share with you is literally the footprints in the sand. For when I looked back at this time in my life, I only saw one set of footprints in the sand. And the old me had wondered why God had left me alone, only to later realize that it was God's footprints that I was seeing, for God was carrying me, and I didn't even realize it. So, using my hindsight, which is always 2020, let me take you back in time to one year after my Pangea epiphany in college, that event that caused me to discover my very own faith, my very own relationship with God. Yes, it was a relationship with God as architect, but a relationship with God as architect is so much better than no relationship with God at all. We all have to start somewhere. As I was saying, one year after my Pangea epiphany in college, something happened. Something that taught me a very valuable lesson about God. I met the greatest woman in the world. Her name is Michelle, and spoiler alert, she will be my wife. Up until that time in my life when I decided to make my faith in God my faith in God, I had entertained other girls. I had even accepted the label of boyfriend with a few wonderful young ladies. But never before Michelle was I swept off my feet. When I met her, I knew that she was very different. I knew that she was and would forever be very different. Well, Do you think that it's a coincidence that I met the love of my life only after I came to terms with the one who gave me my life? Do you think it's a coincidence that I didn't meet the love of my life until after I met the creator of my life? Do you think it's a coincidence that I made the choice to love God and to allow God to love me? The choice that opened the door for me to love someone else and to allow someone else to love me? This choice of faith in God gave me the courage to make the choice to place my faith in love, the love that God has shown to all of us through creation, and the love that I can give to and hopefully receive from someone else. Both of these expressions of love, giving and receiving, involve risk. And yet risk be damned. I don't believe in coincidence. I simply believe that sometimes God makes the choice to remain anonymous. I believe that I met Michelle at the right time, in the right place, and I believe that us meeting was the will of God. Being Michelle's husband is who I am. It isn't merely something that I do. I haven't been playing house with Michelle since I said I do. I've been one with her. I wouldn't have been ready for this kind of being if I had never first realized that there was a God and that I mattered to God. If I didn't believe that there is a God and that I mattered to God, how could I ever imagine loving another human being in such a complete way or allowing another human being to love me in such a complete way? Until I realized that being a follower of Jesus was who I am and not just something that I did, 
I could have never given my heart and my life to Michelle. The two of us could have never become one because I would have had no point of reference for being one, for my whole life would have simply been a string of things that I did, a string of destinations that I was attempting to achieve. And doing isn't at the heart of God's love for you. Being is at the heart for God's love for you. In order for you to love anyone else with this self-same love, you have to be transformed from someone who does their life into someone who is being their life. For behavior modification isn't God's goal. Transformation is God's goal. God isn't as interested in what you do as you have been taught to think. God is so much more interested in who you are. Who you are, your being, will always dictate your actions, your doing. Your actions, your doing, will never change who you are, your being. All of us are very good actors, and we can pretend our entire lives. Until I understood all of this, I I couldn't have entertained the thought of a lifelong love and becoming one with another. Hearkening back to Griffin in Men in Black 3 and my belief concerning freedom of will, that day in that oceanography class, God was sitting beside me saying, I hope this is the one where David sees Pangea and believes in intelligent design. invite you to join me next time as we finish out my journey, part three. Until then, I will leave you with one question. Have you ever considered God to be your shepherd? Why or why not? Feel free to talk amongst yourselves. Hey there. Nope. Nope. That wasn't it. I'll try again. (laughs) Bloopers. Hey there. It's Mackenzie. Island Hopping is a production of Journey to Be Ministries and is sponsored by Beneva Christian Church. You can find Beneva Christian on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, as well as their website, BenevaChristian.com. If you'd like to contact my dad, just drop him an email at islandhoppingpodcast at gmail.com. 